Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. True North True Crime is now available on Patreon. You can now listen to exclusive bonus episodes, early release episodes, and ad-free episodes by signing up at patreon.com slash tntcpod. This podcast contains graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the territories of the Coast Salish people. Good morning and thank you all for being here. Um, This is a pretty significant day for us. I want to introduce myself. I'm Constable Ian McDonald. I'm the Public Information Officer for the Abbotsford Police Department. Uh, Briefly, um, joining me will be Kathy and Al Kazatkin. Uh, They are the family members who will be making appeal in regard to their missing daughter. Uh, She went missing in Peru in late November. Now people might automatically uh, understand that this would not be an Abbotsford Police investigation and they'd be correct and I would like to emphasize that we are not investigating the missing person aspect. We are lending support to uh, citizens who live in our community and trying to find answers about a 41-year-old mother who is a Fraser Valley resident and we are trying to support the family in any way that we can. Uh, Specifically what we're trying to do today, what we're trying to accomplish today is that uh, Kim Kazatkin is a very well-known individual in the Fraser Valley. She has tons of friends. She spent time in Langley, she spent time in Victoria, and we think that it's quite possible that she had contact with her friends in November and maybe still continues to have contact with those friends that just have not, at this point, become aware that she's missing. And obviously that information is fundamentally important to the APD, more important to their, their family and can hopefully solve some of the mysteries about this disappearance. The other thing that I would like to emphasize is uh, we really appreciate having Alan and Kathy here. They are representative of a much larger family, a loving family, a caring family, and we could have absolutely filled this room and probably five more with family members that would like to say something. But as you can imagine, this is a tough issue, it's an emotional issue, and both Kathy and Al have stepped up today. Um, we'd like to um, start by saying that Kim is um, a loving mother and um, she's very active on social media and none of our family or friends of hers that we're aware of have had any contact with her since the evening of the 26th of November. There's been a lot of stuff posted on social media 
and surprisingly, even by the media, that have been in, inaccurate and a little bit um, not quite true, let's, let's put that. And it hasn't been necessarily very helpful. We're, we're looking for facts, and we really think that there's people out there that may know something but don't know they, they're aware of it. So if they could contact the Abbotsford Police, we would be very grateful. Um, we're, Al and I are both with Search and Rescue, and we find ourselves at a very unfamiliar territory and not quite sure what to, what to be doing. So we're just appealing for some help. If, if your child goes missing in a grocery store, you're going to want to go and look in that grocery store. You're going to want to go look in the last place that they were seen. And I think very courageously, they're not just stepping up today. They're going to be boots on the ground in Peru, and they're going to be looking for those facts in Peru as well. Um, hopefully talking to the police down there and, and the Canadian Embassy and any of her friends that we can find. Um, her best friends that were down there have actually left the country and are living in other countries. And although we've had access to them, they, they have not heard from her either. So we'll be trying to find some friends that are still living locally in Lima. On the evening of November 26, 2016, an Abbotsford family lost contact with their 41-year-old daughter who was living in Lima, Peru. Initially, authorities in Lima believed that the woman had left on her own accord. But surveillance footage showed evidence of something much more sinister. Her husband was eventually arrested for her murder, but thus far has evaded prosecution. It has now been six years since her disappearance, and her family continue to fight for justice and answers. Tonight we present the disappearance of Kimberly Kazatkin, and you are listening to True North True Crime. and welcome back to True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. We hope that you're having a safe and happy holiday season and that you've been able to see some people you love, enjoy some good food, and maybe even have a laugh or two on these darker, colder winter days. As always, we want to remind you that if you have a case request, you can send it to us at truenorthtruecrime at gmail.com. We do prioritize cases that come to us directly from family members or close contacts of these cases. If you're feeling festive and giving this holiday season, please write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or give us a follow over on Instagram at TNTCPod. This does help with raising the visibility of our podcast. Okay, let's get into tonight's episode. Tonight, we are talking about the 2016 disappearance and possible murder of 41-year-old Kimberly Kazatkin. Kimberly was last seen walking into the door of her apartment building in Lima, Peru, on the evening of November 26, 2016. At that time, she was seen in the company of her common-law husband, Christopher Franz Bataki. Although Bataki was charged in connection with her possible murder, he remains at large to this day. 
We put this episode together using publicly available news articles as well as translated materials from Peruvian news outlets. This case was also covered by the Canadian podcast and TV show Crime Beat. The reporting on this case by global news reporter Romina Dea is exceptional as usual, and we pulled many details from her reporting. As an additional content warning, this episode deals with intimate partner violence, violence towards women, and the graphic description of what is believed to be a murder scene. So Kimberly Kazatkin was born on June 26, 1975. She lived much of her childhood in Aldergrove, British Columbia, a rural area to the east of Vancouver. Her parents are Al and Kathy Kazatkin, who currently live in the Fraser Valley. The family is a large, blended family with Kimberly having multiple siblings. She maintained a close relationship with her siblings and parents throughout her adult life. As Kimberly grew into adulthood, she had a deep desire to help and connect with people. For a while, she worked in a hair salon, and her specialty was giving makeovers to women who had socioeconomic struggles. In her adult years, Kimberly did get married, and there are two children from that marriage. The marriage, however, ended. Her interests included cooking. Apparently, her family suggested that she go on MasterChef. She was that good. She also loved skiing and gardening, but most of all, she wanted to make a difference in the world. It was this desire to make a difference in the world and in people's lives that drew Kimberly to traditional Chinese medicine. One of Kimberly's biggest dreams was to complete her training as a doctor of Chinese medicine so that she could travel to Africa to help others. In 2009, when Kimberly was 34 years old, she enrolled at the Pacific Rim College to study acupuncture. According to its website, Pacific Rim College is an award-winning institution specializing in holistic medicine and sustainable living. Located on Vancouver Island in beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, the college was founded to provide world-class education, modern research opportunities, and premier clinical services in sustainable land stewardship and a variety of medical modalities. Program areas include permaculture design, acupuncture and Chinese medicine, Western herbal medicine, holistic nutrition, doula training, and integrative health. It was here at the Pacific Rim College that she met Christopher Franz Pataki. At the time, Christopher was a student and a teacher at the school. He is a Peruvian citizen whose family comes from money in the South American country of Peru. Christopher held a medical degree that he acquired in Mexico, and he claimed to have connections with the United Nations and NGOs that are used to help to provide medical care in developing nations. According to sources close to Kimberly, what transpired next was an intense love affair. As an adult, Kimberly also kept a diary of her thoughts, her dreams, and events that happened in her daily life. In a diary entry, Kimberly wrote, We both sobbed like babies in each other's arms, breathless. The passion was so intense. I'm falling for him. The day that Christopher walked into my classroom and sat down in front of me, my whole life changed in an instant. Al and Kathy, Kimberly's parents, were uneasy about their fast-moving relationship. They did not like Christopher's pompous attitude, but the relationship persisted. Eventually, Kimberly became pregnant and gave birth to their first child, a son, in Victoria, British Columbia. Shortly afterwards, Christopher was fired for plagiarism from his teaching position at Pacific Rim College. After Christopher was fired from the college for plagiarism, he began looking for new work. He used his global connections to find work with an NGO or non-government organization located in Uganda. 
For those unaware, an NGO is a nonprofit organization that operates independently of any government, typically one whose purpose is to address a social or political issue. In this case, we believe that the NGO was providing medical aid, and keep in mind, one of Kimberly's goals was to help people in Africa. So Christopher, Kimberly, and their baby packed their lives and moved to Uganda. The area of Uganda that they were in was incredibly remote and situated near the northern border with South Sudan. So this was not anywhere near the capital city of Kampala. Living there, Kimberly would not have immediate access to resources or the Canadian embassy. While initial photos from Uganda show Kimberly essentially thriving, things began to shift. Christopher would leave Kimberly and their son alone for long stretches, sometimes several weeks. He claimed that he was working, but Kimberly began to suspect that Christopher was cheating on her. Alone and isolated in remote northern Uganda, Kimberly took to her diary to share her thoughts. In one entry, she wrote, He's an asshole who charmed me, got me pregnant, and then the real asshole came out. Funny how everyone, and I mean everyone, told me to stay the fuck away from him. Stupid, stupid me had the blinders on. Now, while most of her friends and family were unaware of the pain that Kimberly was going through, some did learn of it. In fact, Kimberly was planning on leaving Christopher. But then, while in Africa, she became pregnant again, and the two reconciled their relationship. Perhaps in an attempt at a relationship restart, Kimberly and Christopher made the decision to move from Uganda to Peru. Christopher was a Peruvian citizen with deep connections in the country. So, while still pregnant with her second child, they moved to Miraflores, a very wealthy district in the capital city of Lima, Peru. She would go on to give birth to their second child, a daughter. In the fall of 2016, Kimberly and Christopher had been together for seven years. They had been living in Peru for three and a half years. However, Kimberly would return home to Abbotsford twice a year for a few weeks at a time. Although from the outside, things looked like they were going well, there was something going on under the surface. While in Peru, Kimberly's neighbor and friend had stated that Kimberly would confide in her that she was being abused by Christopher, but that she was having issues leaving. She wanted to take her children and leave Christopher, but Kimberly was not from Peru and she struggled with the language and unfortunately was financially dependent on Christopher. She was also socially dependent on him. Being a woman fleeing intimate partner violence in their own country of origin is difficult. Being a woman in a foreign country fleeing intimate partner violence has many barriers. She did not know the systems in which to seek help. It is incredibly difficult to approach authorities and make an accusation about a wealthy Peruvian citizen. Kimberly is alleged to have reached out to the Canadian Embassy in Peru. However, the Canadian Embassy will not disclose any information on those interactions, citing privacy concerns. In her diary while in Peru, Kimberly made the following entry. Quote, I am scared. What if Christopher really hurts me bad one day? He dislikes me so much. He's annoyed by my every move. Sometimes my chewing food pisses him off. What if he snaps and really, really hurts me? He hits, slaps, punches, and kicks me as if I'm a piece of shit garbage off the streets. I am me, Kim, the children's mother. Now, during this time, Kimberly was in close contact with one of her sisters. The two connected through text messages daily. We are now going to get into the timeline leading up to her disappearance. So leading up to November 26, 2016, Kimberly texted with her sister in Canada about daily life. Kimberly mentions going to a farmer's market and that 
Recently, Christopher had gone fishing. Then, on the evening of November 26, 2016, Kimberly and Christopher went to a local restaurant for sushi. Surveillance footage from their apartment building, underground parking, shows Kimberly and Christopher returning from dinner between 8 p.m. and 9 p.m. She is never seen on surveillance leaving the building again. Then, on November 30th at 1.45 p.m., Kimberly's sister texts Kimberly, quote, Can I get your address, please? Kimberly does not respond. Then, on December 4th, her sister texts again, Sister, where are you? Where have you gone? I'm praying you're okay. Again, Kimberly does not respond. Then, on December 6th, her sister texts her, Kim, please, I need to know you are safe. We all do. Again, no response. On December 8th, Kimberly's sister tries texting again, and there's no response. A week after Kimberly went missing, Christopher reached out through email to Kimberly's parents, Al and Kathy. In the email, he states that Kimberly has left him and he asks if she is in Canada with them. In the same email, he claims that Kimberly has taken her passport, half of her clothing, and left him and the children. Again, he did this through email. It is at this time that Christopher reports to the local police that Kimberly has abandoned her family. As she was not reported as a missing person, there was no investigation. On December 5, 2016, Kimberly's family filed a missing persons report to the Abbotsford Police Department in British Columbia, Canada. No one has seen or heard from Kimberly since November 26, 2016. We're now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. 
Rather than report his common-law wife as a missing person, Christopher Bataki attends the police station to report Kimberly as a mother who abandoned her children. As a result of this, there's no investigation. Bataki then sends an email to Kimberly's parents stating that she has left him. Al and Kathy Kasatkin then report her as a missing person to the Abbotsford Police Department on December 5th, 2016. While the Abbotsford Police Department has no jurisdiction to investigate Kimberly's disappearance, they were able to act in a supportive role. Meanwhile, back in Peru, the press began to report on Kasatkin's disappearance, and the story became headline news. Weeks passed before the police in Lima began to investigate Kimberly's disappearance, but it was then that they finally discovered several noteworthy facts. There was no activity in any of Kimberly's bank accounts after November 26th. Kimberly was also very active on social media. However, there have been no posts on her socials after November 26th. Kimberly has not contacted anyone in her life after that day. And lastly, there are no records with immigration authorities in Peru of Kimberly leaving the country. All of these facts discredit the notion that she left on her own accord. Kimberly would not have been able to leave the country without money, her passport, or connections with friends and family. As the investigation by Peruvian authorities moved on, they made a massive discovery. CCTV footage from the apartment building they lived in showed Christopher Pataki dragging a large bag from his apartment to his car. So we're now going to break down the footage a little bit for those who have not watched it. The footage is recorded on November 27th, 2016. This is the day after Kimberly was seen walking into her apartment with Pataki. The footage shows Christopher Pataki alone exiting his apartment building and into the parking garage. He is seen walking backwards and dragging a heavy, large bag the size of a suitcase. He uses two hands to drag the bag through the doorway. It is clearly very heavy, and he is struggling to move it out into the parking garage. He is wearing a t-shirt, shorts, a hat, and flip-flops. Footage then shows Christopher Pataki exiting a doorway into the underground parking garage. He continues to drag the bag along the ground. He arrives at his parking stall and puts the bag up against the support pillar beside his car. He then enters his car, backs it out of the space, and then parks the car beside the pillar that the bag is resting on. He puts up the trunk of his car, and it is not seen what he is doing at the back of the car. The the camera cannot see what he's doing behind the car. But whatever he is doing, the process takes a few minutes. You can see that he is arranging and rummaging items um, that are in the trunk. He then gets back into his car, and he maneuvers the car a few times so that it is closer to the pillar. While he is doing this, the trunk of the car is still open. He gets out of the car and opens the back door on the driver's side. This is directly beside the large bag still resting against the pillar. He rummages around in the back seat for a bit. Eventually, he loads the bag into the trunk. When his car drives away, the suitcase or the large bag is gone. Presumably, it is in the trunk of his car. Authorities believe that the time that he spent rummaging in the trunk of his car and hidden from CCTV, Bataki was laying garbage bags down on the floor of his trunk. After the surveillance footage came to light, police crime scene investigators descended on the apartment building to process the scene. 
they made some significant discoveries. Those discoveries included trace amounts of blood on his apartment doorframe as well as in the elevator. There was also blood evidence on their mattress and bed sheets. As these were trace amounts, it is unclear if this blood evidence has been positively identified as belonging to Kimberly or not. There was also evidence that the bathroom door in the apartment had been forced open. However, the final discovery is much more impactful. The crime scene team sprayed the pillar in the garage where Bataki had rested the large bag with luminol. This pillar where he had rested the bag for a long period of time showed evidence of blood staining that was revealed by the luminol. This blood has been positively identified as belonging to Kimberly Kasatkin. Police also used cell phone towers to trace where Bataki traveled to after he left the parking garage. Cell phone pings placed him in Chilka, a city 90 minutes away from Lima, Peru. This is an area where Bataki's family owned land. Authorities searched the area and discovered two bodies. Neither of them were Kimberly. While the investigation was uncovering Bataki's movements after Kimberly's disappearance, the Peruvian media was digging into the issues in the relationship. A video began circulating on Peruvian news outlets. In the video is Kimberly from before her disappearance. She clearly has marks on her face consistent with being hit. The video is a series of clips and still photos edited together. In one of the videos, a blurred-out Bataki is seen presumably in their apartment carrying a crying child away from Kimberly as she confronts him about hitting her. In another clip, she is seen in the bathroom alone as clumps of her hair fall out into the sink after Bataki allegedly pulled her around by her hair. A still photo shows blood coming out of Kimberly's right nostril, while another still shows the underside of her top lip cut open from her front teeth, piercing the skin as if she has been punched. She also displays a bruised knee. There is also evidence of petechia and bruises consistent with strangulation. Kimberly is breathless as she is seen on edited video stating, He hit my face. Here's my knee. He grabbed the back of my hair, handfuls of hair. Look, it's coming out. On February 21st, 2017, Christopher Franz Bataki was arrested while he dined at a cafe near the apartment that he had shared with Kimberly and their children. He is charged under Peruvian law with the crime of femicide, which is the intentional and targeted murder of a woman. According to studies, Peru, like many countries, struggles with prosecuting violence towards women. Laws have existed on the books, but enforcement of those laws has been lacking. As a result, the statistics involving violence towards women are bracing. A report from the Office of the Attorney General in Peru states that between 2009 and 2011, 358 women died as a result of femicide caused by their partner, ex-partner, family member, or a known man. Andina, a Peruvian news agency, reported in 2013 that 4 out of 10 Peruvian women were victims of domestic violence. But in 2011, Peru codified femicide into law as a crime of its own. Femicide was approved by Congress for inclusion in the criminal code in December 2011 and carries a sentence between 15 and 25 years for perpetrators. Femicide in Peru carries a minimum sentence of 15 years imprisonment for those convicted of killing a woman who is an immediate relative, spouse, partner, or ex-partner. 
the law also establishes sentences of up to life in prison when the victim is a minor, pregnant, or a person with a disability. After Bataki was arrested, a preliminary hearing was held in a Peruvian court to disclose the evidence against him. The prosecution was seeking a trial and a 17-year sentence. Al and Kathy, Kimberly's parents, were sitting in the courtroom watching the proceedings unfold. Bataki and his defense team were shown the CCTV footage of Bataki struggling with the heavy bag in his apartment parking garage the day after Kimberly was last seen. His defense team stated that the bag was filled with two camping tents, a tarp, and some heavy blocks that were used to keep the tents in place. They also stated that the bag was not heavy enough to be a body. However, the prosecution had filmed a second video of Bataki attempting to carry a bag of the same weight as Kimberly from his apartment to his car. In the video, Bataki is seen struggling in a similar fashion to the CCTV footage. A report from a forensic psychologist representing the prosecution was also presented. The report stated that Bataki, quote, is planned, strategic, self-centered, deceptive, and cunning. The accused is a cynic and a manipulator, highly distrustful, sensitive, and confrontational in the presence of what he perceives as a threat. He seems cold and unaffected by his wife's disappearance. Christopher Pataki spoke on his own behalf at the hearing while Kimberly's parents looked on. He stated, Good afternoon. First of all, they want to connect me to an act that I have not committed. They want to imprison me. And at this moment, what are my children going to do? We have to be together. I feel and I know that Kimberly is alive somewhere. And while all three of us are together waiting for her, they, the prosecution, want to separate us. That can't happen. That doesn't seem fair. What happens if she comes back soon and I am in prison? Who will the kids stay with? My mother works. My aunt works. With who will they be with other than their dad? Waiting for their mom. And from what I have heard, these are indirect accusations, and it is all very confusing. And it is a very difficult time. At this point, he begins to cry and finishes by saying, And I find it unfair. What they want to impute on me. Thank you. The defense also argued that there was no previous instances of domestic violence filed with Peruvian authorities and that Kimberly had simply left on her own accord. At the end of the hearing, the judge rules that the trial should move forward and that the trial for femicide will continue at a later date. The defense argued that Bataki should be released pending the trial. However, the judge ruled that Christopher Franz Bataki was a flight risk and he was ordered to be detained until his trial. However, his defense team filed two different appeals to this decision. It was their argument that Bataki should be free while awaiting trial. They stated that he was not a flight risk and both of these appeals were rejected and the court stated that he should remain in custody. Christopher Bataki's defense team was not happy with this ruling so they once again appealed the decision in a different court district with a different judge. This judge agreed with the defense team stating that there was insufficient evidence to hold Bataki until his trial. So in June of 2018, after about 15 months of detention, Christopher Bataki walked out of jail to await his trial as a free man. The prosecution filed their own appeal stating that Bataki was clearly a flight risk as he was a person of means being charged with a very serious crime. In December of 2018, this judge ruled that Bataki should in fact be in prison to await his trial, 
this judge states that the releasing judge's decision was terrible. Christopher is ordered back to prison immediately and a warrant is issued for his arrest. But it was too late. Christopher Franz Bataki was nowhere to be found. To this day, authorities do not know where he is despite being on Peru's 10 most wanted list. The Canadian and Peruvian media, along with Al and Kathy, have done their best to keep this story in the spotlight. But even those efforts have failed to bring Bataki out into the light and into a courtroom. But despite being wanted for murder, being on Peru's most wanted list, and being chased by Interpol, Christopher Bataki was able to send two emails to the Canadian media company Post Media in which he states that he is not hiding or a fugitive. Here is a copy of one of those emails. Dear Miss Romina Dea, my name is Christopher Franz Bataki. You have written an article published online on October 25th, 2018 in regards to a reserved undergoing legal and judicial investigation taking place in Peru for alleged charges of homicide, the alleged murder of Kimberly S. Kasatkin. First of all, I kindly ask you to remove all of the pictures of both of my children that are being broadcast on Global News Canada. You have not received my explicit consent, written or signed, to show any pictures or videos where my children are portrayed and shown, thus infringing the law that protects the identity and integrity of minors. Therefore, I kindly ask you to remove them from the link above and from the website before I take legal actions. The very title of your article gives false information by claiming my children are missing. Quote, BC couple heads to Peru in search of missing daughter's children. The Kasakins say that they haven't heard from my children in four months. Well, that is because the last time they were here in Peru was in late May of 2018. Since then, we haven't received any phone calls from them, and I do have official records of all incoming and outgoing phone calls per month issued by the Peruvian telephone company to support my statement. The only communication received was a voice message left by Al on September 7th, 2018. It is strange to know that this lady, Kathleen Ann Kasatkin, portrays herself as the grandmother of my children. She is not blood-related to my children. She is just the wife of Kimberly's father, Al. You are depicting her as Kimberly's mother as well, which is not matching reality and thus misleading the Canadian people. The Kasatkins are mentioning that they do not know where my children are, and I quote, where Bataki and Kasakin's children are also remains unclear. That is totally incorrect and far from the truth. They know where they live. They know as well which private school they attend. That can be cross-checked with the Department of Protection for Women, Teenagers, and Children, which is a government agency which surveys my children on a monthly basis with psychological evaluations, as well as the evaluation of their school performance and well-being. Their daily school attendance is cross-checked as well by the school principal, teachers, and classmates, and so on. He also states, My children are fine, well-kept, and living in the same home with my mother since late 2016. In another email, he states, Only one side of the story has been told, a very biased one. The true facts have not been exposed yet. Bataki states that Kimberly's family are misinformed about the police investigation. He also objected to Post Media's coverage of the story, asking it to stop publishing anything about the case until it is concluded, stating, 
I am innocent. I do not know either where Kimberly is. He also goes on to state, I am in Peru waiting for the trial to start. Once the trial is over and I can finally prove my innocence, when that moment comes, I will start legal actions against those who have defamed me and against those who have given false statements about my name and integrity. Recently, his defense team have filed another motion to have the charges against him dismissed. So as the case stands today, Kimberly Kazatkin has not been found, and allegations against Christopher Franz Pataki have not been tested in court. In fact, Peruvian officials do not know where he is despite an arrest warrant being issued four years ago. The trial against him cannot commence unless he is present in court. As for Al and Kathy, they have spent much time traveling back and forth to Lima, Peru. Their wish is to finally have justice for Kimberly. They also have tried multiple times to be granted custody of their grandchildren, but they have so far been unsuccessful. Kimberly's children remain in the custody of Bataki's mother. An article by Global News from last year, dated November 27, 2021, states the following. The 41-year-old mother of two vanished in Lima, Peru on November 26, 2016. Her partner and father of her children, Christopher Franz Bataki, is accused of murdering her. It's been tough because it's been five years since Kim went missing with no answers, Kasatkin's brother Jason told Global News. In the beginning, just living in Canada, you think justice is going to be served. There will be some kind of resolution. But five years later, we've pretty much had absolutely no answers on anything other than the fact that she's not coming back and we can't expect any kind of answers anytime soon. Bataki remains a fugitive, and Kasakin's mother Kathy told Global News his lawyer has asked a judge to vacate his arrest warrant because he's sick. I really want to have faith that they are looking, she said. The article goes on to say that Kathy and her husband Al have spent their retirement savings searching for the truth and fighting for access to the children, who are now 8 and 11 years old. The family has had little recent contact with Kimberly's children, who remain in the care of their grandmother on Bataki's side. The kids will look into, and they're going to find out that their father wasn't out there looking for their mother like their grandmother told them. They're going to find out through all of this that he's not away working somewhere. He's been hiding because he's not man enough to stand up and prove his innocence that he claims is so easily proven. She said while she is losing hope, there will be justice for her daughter. She retains hope that they'll be able to reconnect with the kids one day. Our family is incomplete without all of our grandchildren. They have a family here that loves them so much. We miss the picnics in the summertime in the backyard with them. We miss going sledding with them. We love them unconditionally, and we want them to come back. We want to have a relationship with them, but we're not even allowed to Skype with them. Kimberly's brother, Jason, said he remains optimistic there will be closure in his sister's case, though hope fades a little with every year that passes. I do have a tiny bit of faith still. You want to hold on to hope that something will happen. It's a small, small amount of faith. I don't want to completely give up on getting the justice for Kim, but as time goes on, it kind of diminishes a little bit. In September of 2019, Kimberly's family, friends, and community held a celebration of life to remember her and everything that she meant to them. They gathered together as a way of moving forward. Without a death certificate or remains, the family has reconciled with the fact that Kimberly is not coming back. During the ceremony, Al stood at the podium and stated, We all miss her. We are sorry that she is gone, but let's celebrate her life as it was. 
That's all we have for this case. We will certainly provide an update episode when and if information becomes available. We would like to thank you for joining us for this episode of True North True Crime. We wish you all a very happy holidays and a happy and healthy new year. We will see you all in 2023. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.